0: Uh, today, we're going to be in the book of Mark, and we're going to go to chapter 8, and we're going to read um, verses 22 to chapter 9, verse 1. So it's Mark chapter 8, and verses 22 to 9 1. Let me read God's Word. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. That is God's word. Let's pray. Oh God, we confess that we are incapable to see your glory and beauty, your mercy, and your grace, your love, and your justice, and all your attributes by yourselves. We need your miraculous and gentle touch of our hard hearts and stubborn minds to be able to feel and understand your message to us this night. So we implore that you would open our spiritual eyes to see you, clearly, to understand this text that reveals the identity of Jesus and our call to follow Him as He is. Take away the filthy veil of our sight so that we can see your Son as He is. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, move us to follow Him as He is. In the name of your glorious Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. A few months ago, I was in college church and the auditorium and the balcony, and I was trying to read the letters on the screen, and um, I wasn't able to distinguish very well the words. And that was my fault because I think I had a problem with my glasses. They seemed blurry to me. So I went to the eye doctor, and... um, And I got new glasses. I went back to the auditorium, to the balcony. And I was able to read the words and sing along with the whole church. I had a blurry sight. And now I was able to see with my new glasses. I couldn't believe that I was all this time with my old glasses. And I was just having a blurry sight all the time. Until I got my new glasses. And now I can see clearly all the words. In a similar manner, many times we see a blurry picture of Jesus, and we don't know. And we live a Christian life as if we know Jesus, but we're not reflecting the identity of Jesus in our own lives. We just see the shape of his identity, but we're not able to see him clearly, because we're not seeing who he is is really in our text we just read a man who was blind and jesus healed him gradually first he uh, touched his eyes and now the man jesus asked him can you see and jesus and and this man says i see people but they look like trees walking he obviously wasn't able to see yet then jesus touched him again and he is able to see Everything clearly, the text says. And this is a story, a miracle that Mark puts on purpose to show us what is going to happen later. To show us that Peter, the disciples, and this crowd that Jesus is teaching are not seeing him clearly. They think they know who Jesus is, but they don't really know who he is. They have a blurry sight. And for us today... I pray that through this message, through the understanding of the Holy Spirit through His Word, we will have a remarkable clarity of who Jesus is. And why is this important? Because to see a fake picture of Jesus is the same as not knowing Him at all. And that is very dangerous. So tonight we will learn that to see Jesus clearly is to follow him as he is. Let me say that again. To see Jesus clearly is to follow him as he is. And you might be wondering, well, what is to see Jesus clearly? I'm glad you ask, because we're going to learn three ways in which we can see Jesus clearly. That our text is showing us. Number one, to see Jesus clearly, you need to see his identity. You need to see his identity. Number two, you need to see his works. You need to see Jesus' works. Number three, to see Jesus clearly, you need to see how you follow Jesus. Those are the three things that we're going to go through Today. And so let's talk about to see his identity. We see that in verses 27 to 30. So think about when we think about identity, when you introduce yourself to somebody for the first time. That might happen very often in college churches. This is a big church. so You are introducing yourself all the time. So you say, the first thing you say is, what is your name? I usually say, Josue Alvarado. Josue, usually people ask. So I have to repeat my name until people get it. And you're really good at it. And so your name is part of who you are, your identity. And so in this text, we see the name of Jesus being something really important as well. And Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And people are confused. They confuse Jesus with other names. And these were great people but nobody like Jesus. John the Baptist was great. Elijah was great, but nobody like Jesus. They were inferior to him. Other people just say, well, he is pretty great. He might be one of the prophets. They have some clues, but they didn't know who Jesus was. Now, this, com- this confusion for people and in, in this text is during that successful time in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was healing people. Jesus was giving sight to the blind. But they didn't know who he was. Even John the Baptist said, said, Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, He was Jesus. He's superior to me. But people said, he is John the Baptist. They were confused. They didn't see who Jesus was, who, who was this man. They saw the person of Jesus face to face. But they didn't know who he was. And the same thing is happening today in the church. In fact, there was a survey in 2020, in March where 30% of people in evangelical churches affirmed that Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't God. Christians in churches listening to the word, they said, Jesus is a good teacher, but he's not God. Three out of 10 people don't understand that Jesus is God. Not here. That's what I hope that Everybody here understand that Jesus Christ is God. Now, our text is very clear. Peter says, you are the Christ. And that is our understanding that Jesus is the Messiah of God. Our text is showing us that Jesus is the one who fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. He is the chosen one. And Peter was right. Jesus is the Messiah of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He's more than a a prophet. He is the Savior of the world, the Rescuer, the one that God chose to save His people. And Peter was right in his affirmation. And I hope that everybody tonight profess that in the same way, saying Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is my Messiah, my Savior, as the book of Acts also says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, but which we must be saved. That is Jesus, the Messiah of God. Now, after affirming that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus charged them to tell no one about him in verse 30. Tell no one about him. Wait a minute, are we supposed to preach about Jesus? Are we supposed to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah of God? Why is Jesus charging them to tell no one about him? And I think this is happening because Peter and the disciples did not know the works of Jesus. They said, you are the Messiah, but they don't know his works if they go out and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah of God, they will preach something like this. Jesus, our Messiah, the one who will give us freedom from the evil Roman Empire. Take your arms and let's go fight with Jesus, our Messiah. That's what Jesus didn't tell them. They were wrong. Now, Today, is happening the same thing. We see plenty of preaching doing the same thing. Preachers in churches that profess to know Jesus as the Messiah of God, their Savior. Jesus is the one who will give them freedom from their economical circumstances, debts, the one who will satisfy their personal desires, even if they're sinful, and the one who will accommodate to their vision and wishes. But that is not the Christ of God. That is not Jesus. There is a huge confusion in the church today, and it will continue in many minds throughout the history of humanity. And that is what we need to see Jesus' Works. It's not enough to know that he is the Messiah, but we need to see what he does. Now, his identity defines what he does. Let's talk about seeing Jesus clearly through his works. If you want to know in a building project who is the carpenter, you want to see that person that has a hammer and is nailing nails and sewing wood. And if you are looking for that person that is working the wood, you will know that that person is the carpenter. In our text, we see the same thing. If you want to know who is the Messiah of God, you need to see his works. So in verse 31, Jesus describes his works. He's going to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. And the things that talk about him. He will suffer. He will be rejected by his own people. He will die. And he will rise again. Jesus knew his works as the Messiah of God. Even before taking a human form. He knew what were his works. And that is the reason why he came to the world. And the text says that Jesus said these things Plainly. That means that Jesus was clear with the disciples about his mission. And he communicated this with these works of the Messiah, these works that he's going to do with his disciples. Now, these works are the opposite of what Peter has in mind for the Messiah, or his understanding of the Messiah. Peter had in mind a different kind of work. For Jesus. And that is why why Peter takes Jesus aside and starts to rebuke him. Now the text gives a hint of Peter tried to rebuke him, apparently, Jesus. And he probably had in his mind something like how is possible that the Son of God is going to suffer? How can the Messiah be rejected by the elders of Israel? How is that the Christ of God will die? Peter was so confused, but he was not able to deliver this rebuke to Jesus because Jesus interrupted his speech with a greater and truthful rebuke. He turned to the disciples and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Jesus knew that he must suffer, be rejected. Die and rise again. Jesus had in his mind the things of God. What God sent him to do. But Peter had in his mind a Messiah that will conquer the evil Roman Empire. A Messiah that will kill those who oppose him. And that will make suffer those who were against him. He was being deceived. Peter was being deceived by Satan to think that Christ will make suffer others instead of him going to the cross. Now, this is not the first time that Christ is being tempted in this way. Before starting his ministry, Jesus Christ was in the desert and he spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And the temptations of Satan suggested the same thing that Peter was saying over here. Satan offered to Jesus a shortcut to receive the glory of God, not going to the cross. But Jesus did not fall into that temptation. Jesus rebuked Satan and he said in the desert, Be gone, Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus had his eyes on Jerusalem. He looked forward to the cross and he knew what was his work. Do you know what are the works of Jesus? Because we know that Jesus Christ died. We know that he suffered. We know that he was rejected and that he resurrected. But Satan continues to whisper in the, uh, in the ears of believers and non-believers, the same lie, saying he did not, he did not suffer. He did not die. He wasn't rejected. And even more so, he did not resurrect it. And the results of believing that lie are devastating you will not see who Jesus is if you believe that. If you don't see the works of Jesus, you will not know who He is. To see the Messiah of God with clarity, we need to see His sufferings, His rejection, His death, and His resurrection. Now, how do you do that? How do you see those things? The problem is that we give for granted the works of Jesus. I already know that. I already know that Jesus Christ died and, and, and suffered and resurrected. But we need to go with our eyes and minds and hearts open to God's word every day to see again the works of Jesus Christ. Go to God's word because every book of the Bible screams out the works of Jesus and reveals Jesus' works so you can see him more precious for your own good. Now once you know his identity, now once you know clearly his works, now is your turn to see yourself as in a mirror in the Word of God. If you are following him as his, if you are not seeing just a fake picture of Jesus Christ, are you following Jesus in the way He is? So I was talking about my glasses. So when I went to the eye doctor, I sat down in the chair, got a machine, and I was looking to some letters. The first ones were big. And as I was going down, it was harder to see. And that was my exam, my test, to assess how good my eyes were. And if you want to assess how good your understanding of jesus is you need to see how are you following jesus jesus called the crowd now he turns from his disciples he calls the crowd with the disciples now teaching time is about to start and he says you must deny yourself if you want to follow me if you want to come after me jesus says you must deny yourself Take up your cross and follow me. This was the opportunity for the disciples and some people in, in the crowd to turn around and follow somebody else. Jesus was clear. If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Jesus taught the implications of following him. And so we should know that for ourselves as well. Jesus said, You must take up your cross. And everybody knew what a cross was in those days. All people witnessed criminals carrying up the cross, going up to the mountain, being nailed to the cross. And this was mostly being done by the Romans to discourage to discourage the criminals and the other people so they wouldn't do the same kind of crimes. And so this teaching of Jesus is almost like a discouraging teaching for those who don't understand what it means to follow Jesus. So imagine Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, And you are right there, and that is the picture that Jesus is giving us. Jesus is hanging, is nailed to the cross, he's suffering, he's being mocked, he's bleeding, he's dying. And you look at him and you say, that is the Christ that I have to follow? And so we need to follow him in the cross as well. Look at yourself. Look at yourself in the truthful mirror of the Word of God and see if these words that Jesus says are the way that you are following Jesus. There are multiple distractions in the world that are pulling us away from following Jesus as He is. And you might be wondering in this text What it means to deny yourself? It's a good question. I wondered about that for a long time as I was preparing this. But the answer is really simple. How do I deny myself? Listen to this. Say no to temptations, as Jesus did. Say no to the sinful desires of your flesh, because you always will have it. Now, this does not mean that you will sell all your stuff. You're going to go up to a mountain so you will not have temptations because even if you sell everything you have, you leave your family behind, you're still going to go up to the mountain by yourself with your cross. With your sinful cross. Instead, even with the temptations you have, even with the temptations of your flesh, the temptations of the world and Satan, say no. I will follow Jesus. And if you're carrying up your cross and you fail, deny yourself on your pride and say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Humble yourself before Jesus Christ, the one who is perfect, it has the power to forgive you. So you can continue carrying up your cross and following him. Deny yourself the cup up your cross and follow Jesus. Now, from verses 35 to 38, we see a description of these kinds of temptations that every man and woman have in their lives. The first one is a, par- is a paradox. If you want to save your life you will lose it. If you lose your life for my my sake and the Gospels, you will save it. So the first one is, you must be willing to lose your life to gain it. You must be willing to lose your life to gain eternal life for the sake of Jesus and the Gospel. And in the words of Apostle Paul, we could understand this when he says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is is gain. The second one is a denial; is a self denial in the possessions of the world. I do not know the price of any house or a fancy car that is more precious than our soul. Jesus says, "Not even if you win." The whole world, there is no money that can buy the salvation of your soul. Say no to the temptation of the possessions, of accumulating possessions as the final goal of your life. And the third temptation is to be ashamed of your faith. And the motivation behind this. This kind of shame is pleasing people. This is when we do not want to call sin what is sin. This is when we do not want to let others know that we are Christians because they're going to reject us. But the consequences are also devastating because from Him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes back in his glory. Now look at 9.1. Chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after he has come with power. So Jesus refers to his transfiguration in the next verses where Peter, James, and and John saw Jesus in a glorious form and heard the voice of God coming from a cloud, talking about Jesus. And the word of Jesus was fulfilled six days later, says verse 2. But He also promised that He will come back again for us. And we are waiting for the Revelation of Jesus Christ, to enjoy with Him and be be with Him forever. So my prayer tonight is that we can see Jesus, the Messiah of God, with clarity. If that is the case, we know that we will follow Him in His sufferings, in His rejection, in His death, but also in His resurrection. I am proclaiming tonight, in this text, Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God. The one who suffered, the one who was rejected, the one who died, and the one who resurrected. And I pray that you will get to know Him more and more every day, including today. Because we get to see Him more precious every time. I pray that you will see Jesus more precious today than he was yesterday. And that tomorrow Jesus will be more precious. And you will see him more clearly tomorrow than today. That should be the aim of our lives. That we can see Jesus as he is. More and more clearly. That through the lenses of the word of God, you will see Jesus, better and better. John said, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him as He is." Put your eyes upon Jesus and follow Him as he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you because you are showing us Jesus Christ and I just pray, Lord, that you will continue to make a work in our minds and in our hearts and that we will be able to follow him as he is, oh Lord. Be merciful to us and help us to see Jesus Christ with clarity to see His identity, to see His works, and to embrace Him so precious as He is, Lord. Guide us as we want to follow Jesus in the way He is. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.